This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. What happens when a Christian, biblically-based leadership expert talks to a vegan Jewish entrepreneur from California? Tune in and find out. Today, I have a special guest who will share his leadership journey from restaurant busboy, dishwasher, food preparer, host, and waiter to more than 30 years as a sales leader in the professional audio industry to now operating his own unique and exciting business for a special niche market. Stay tuned to hear the rest of the story. My guest today is Jeffrey Harris, co-founder, co-chief executive officer, and chief marketing and communications officer of Plant Power Fast Food. Plant Power Fast Food is a plant-based fast food restaurant concept. Menu offerings are completely free of any meat, fish, eggs, dairy products, artificial flavorings or colorings, and with a selection ranging from burgers, fries, shakes, and chicken tenders to salads, fresh juices, and raw items. They've often been referred to as the vegan version of McDonald's. In 2005, Aware that a growing segment of the population who preferred to decrease their consumption of animal products found little in the way of convenient alternatives for their busy lives, Jeffrey began to contemplate the idea of building a nationwide chain of 100% plant-based fast food restaurants. He wanted to introduce millions of consumers to the benefits of a plant-based, sustainable, and cruelty-free diet. After years of searching for partners, he met Mitch Wallace and Zach Volga, and in 2014, they began meeting to plan how to bring the plant power fast food vision to life. The company opened its first restaurant in 2016 in San Diego, California, with net sales that year of $1.1 million. Today, the company has seven operational restaurants, eight restaurants in development, 21 locations in the franchise development pipeline, an LA-based food truck, a world-class food production facility, a national distribution agreement, and over 14.5 million in brand-wide retail net sales. The company is also now opening its first restaurants outside of Southern California. Aware of the plight of animals at an early age, Jeffrey Harris stopped eating meat, fish, and chicken products at the age of 14. Then in 1996, he became a vegan, a man of purpose, passion, and full of the entrepreneurial spirit. Jeffrey and his partners are now bringing his childhood vision to greater life. So join me in welcoming Jeffrey Harris to the Voice of Leadership. Jeffrey, great to have you here today. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. Thank you. And I love the introduction. I, I want to listen to it again and again. 
Well, I enjoy doing your introduction and featuring you in a special way. You have such a wonderful background and story. I want to hear all about it today. All right. So let me just ask you just one little pre-question, which is this. You know, a lot of times people talk about vegetarian food and remember it's vegetarian, it's vegan, and it's also fast food. Is it really healthy? We want to know. That's a great question. That's a trick question. We didn't discuss this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's a really good question. So there's two answers to that. So in terms of optimal health and the best way you can possibly eat, you know, I am convinced that an organic whole foods diet filled with vegetables and legumes and, and whole grains is the best way to go. So there's no doubt about that. In our menu, because we've eliminated all animal products, you know, cheese, dairy, meat. I said cheese and dairy, but you get the idea. Yes. Because there's no animal products, there's automatically zero cholesterol. So we know that there's a tremendous amount of diseases that are caused by cholesterol. And we also know now that many diseases like heart disease, cardiovascular, diabetes, a lot of these things are now linked to the consumption of animal products, as well as various kinds of cancer. So the moment that you remove animal products, you, you've taken a huge leap forward in terms of having a much healthier diet. It's important to know that there are vegan donuts out there too. And I could probably go through a, a bag of vegan bagels and vegan cream cheese, and that's not optimally healthy. So what <laughs> we what we have in our menu is really what I would describe as a spectrum from way healthier, right? Like a bacon cheeseburger made without polyunsaturated oils, artificial colors, artificial flavors, no animal products, no cholesterol, very simple, uh, not overly processed foods as well all the way to an avocado quinoa salad or a raw taco or fresh juice. So we have a spectrum, but I do believe that the first step in optimal nutrition is moving away from the consumption of animal products. And then ultimately a whole foods, plant-based organic diet is the way to go. So we're kind of a bridge. We're kind of taking people from where they are now to where we feel it might be helpful for people to go. Okay, thank you, Jeffrey, for sharing that with us about does this taste good? Is it healthy? But what is it made out of too? Especially the part that sounds like meat, like burgers and chicken. And people are concerned about that. People may be worried a little bit about it. Soy, a lot of soy. Yeah. What's in it? Yeah. There's a lot of conversations out there about soy and everybody has a different experience, but our, our burgers, for example, are made from very, very few ingredients, but primarily GMO free soy. You know, that's what we're using for our burgers right now. And our customers report that they don't have the same kinds of problems that they may have reported with other more processed soy products. So the burgers are very simple. There's not like 30 ingredients in there. Also, we have our black bean burger, which interestingly has black beans and some vegetables and a few other ingredients. And then finally, our chicken product is made from a combination of quinoa, various grains, um, soy and wheat. So we have gluten-free options with our burger patties. I'm using my air quotes now so you can see my beefy patties, black bean patties, that's gluten-free. And also um, our chicken product does have some gluten in it and uh, it's mostly grains and and wheat and soy. Okay, thank you so much for that clarification. So now that we've got that out of the way, we know that it's healthy and there's a range, people have a choice and what's in it. Why did you create this plant power fast food company? What was your intention? And I know health is a part of it. And so tell us a little bit more. Well, you know, for me and also my partners, and by the way, Mitch and Zach had the same vision that I had before the three of us had ever met. And I think that we were all thinking primarily in terms of animal welfare. 
So as you mentioned in um, your story about my bio, I became a vegetarian at an early age and a vegan later. And I just became aware of the plight of animals and the unnecessary suffering that we create. And my feeling was throughout my life, if I could find a way without preaching to people or making them feel bad, just offer them a plant-based alternative. I felt that this would be a point where they can maybe begin to examine their own food choices and understand new possibilities. And interestingly, my partner, Zach and Mitch had exactly the same thoughts for many years. So the first thing we were always thinking about, how do we scale up something really big that can touch a lot of people and take animals off the plate? And in the process, introduce people to the idea of plant-based food in a format that might make sense to them. So going to Jeff's vegan hippie shack, having some brown rice and broccoli and, and tofu wasn't probably going to touch tens of millions of people. But if we give people a bacon cheeseburger, fries, shake, again, the air quotes, chicken tenders, then we can, number one, take animals off the plate in that meal itself. And number two, possibly touch hearts and minds. And all three founders felt that same way. I became a vegetarian and vegan at an early age, but later in life, I also began to understand the environmental impacts of animal agriculture and also the health impacts as well. So I was a ethical vegan as a kid, uh, probably still eating our ethical vegetarian, Ho-Ho's, Twinkies, uh, pizza, <laughs> uh, uh, cheeseburgers, not cheeseburgers, but you know, uh, cheese sandwiches. All that was still on the menu. I really wasn't aware of the health benefits at an early age. So I love the fact that you are meeting people where they are and you're giving them something that's savory, that tastes good, and that reminds them of things that they do like. And like you said earlier, it's kind of a bridge to maybe a healthier way of eating and they can do it quickly because one of the things that's kind of scary about healthy eating is spending hours in the kitchen and most people don't have time to do that when they're working and so on and so forth. So that's really fantastic. So you also mentioned, Jeffrey, you also mentioned your partners and we know that it takes partnership and co-creation to do anything big in the world. And so you have your two business partners, Mitch Wallace and Zach of Voga. So how did you meet them? Tell us a little bit more about how they fit in. And you already mentioned that they were already on the same journey when you met them anyway. So tell us a little bit more about that collaboration. I knew from an early age that I wanted to do something for the animals. And then later in life, I had this idea of the vegan McDonald's, right? The plant-based fast food restaurant. And even though I've worked in restaurants, as a dishwasher, busboy, host, and waiter, I didn't really know how to create one of these. How do you build a menu? How do you hire the staff? How do you operate one of these things? And I knew when I came up with this idea about 12 or 13 years ago, I would need to find a partner that had the same crazy vision that had the operational piece that I was missing. And so I, I literally went on a search for years, probably four or five years, Googling, talking to people, hiring consultants, and came up with nothing. And then an ex-girlfriend of mine called me Susan, in case she's watching this, and she said, hey, I think I found your guy. And Susan had a mutual friend with my now partner, Mitch Wallace. I heard that this guy had a vegan restaurant in San Diego. I called him up, fell in love with the guy, and then went down to meet him, fell in love with him again. And Mitch introduced me to Zach Voga, who at the time was a young man working at Mitch's restaurant, Evolution Fast Food in San Diego. And when I met these two guys and began to talk to them, I realized that the three of us shared a vision they had what I was missing. You know, they had that operational expertise and the understanding of how to do this that I did not have. And we looked at each other and we realized the three of us had the various puzzle pieces that might be necessary to bring this shared vision into reality. 
you know, you mentioned something I think is really huge, and that is the vision part was shared. That's where you guys came together, and you each had different superpowers to bring to the party, so to speak, to make it all work and to make it all happen. So in your case, Jeffrey, I know that prior to this venture, you had many diverse job experiences, and we named some of those. So I want to know, what did you learn from your past experiences and particularly, you are a very, very successful salesperson in the sound industry, if you will. So tell us a little bit about what you learned from your previous work and how it prepared you for what you're doing now. That's a great question. It really is. I think the most important thing I learned in my previous job is how to communicate a vision and enroll people into your vision and get them going. So obviously I was working for a big company and the vision is always more sales. But when you're working with a team of sales guys, you wanna basically bring them onto your team and be part of their team. And you know, I never managed, and most of the guys reporting to me were smarter and more experienced than I was. And so I really managed from the point of view of service. How can I serve you to serve me, to serve the mission? What do you need from me? Obviously, there are times you have to make that challenging call. Hey, we're not hitting the numbers. We've got a week to go. But we all know that. And I just enjoy doing that from the point of view of love, service. How can I help? How can we get there? And it worked. I was at that uh, my last job for almost 20 years. And I think that the reason that I was there for a long time wasn't that I was the smartest guy there because I really wasn't. I think that I had developed a rapport with my team members and with the people who reported to me and was able to communicate a vision. The second thing I learned there, which was a survival skill, was numbers, Excel, profit analysis, planning uh, mathematically my world. And, you know, that came from kind of the defending your life meetings that you would be in every now and then, where I'd be at a table and, uh, you know, I had nine brands and four or five territories and I'd be asked, how are you going to get to this number by this point in time? And earlier on in my career, is like, I don't know. <laughs> and that never flew. So I actually developed uh, a skill set with Excel and other analytical tools so that I began to kind of understand my sales world in a very kind of financial analysis kind of way. Later in life, when I started working with Zach and Mitch on Plan Power, that came in incredibly handy. Because when investors go, well, what's going to happen and how much money will you make? You can't go, I don't know. You know, you have to be able to communicate the vision uh, mathematically and financially as well. So those were a couple of the big tools that I learned that I really enjoyed. You know, that's phenomenal. And what I really love, it's what you said about being able to enroll other people in the vision yeah. to get them to sign on to it and make it their vision as well. And the whole idea of service, you're serving them so that collectively yeah. all of you can serve the customer out there. And the whole piece about love, that's huge as well. So I thank you. I, I really love those values that you're actually bringing to life in your business. Thank you. And I know you relate to this, right? I mean, if we are getting up every day and, and doing a job, right? And it may not be what our dreams are. I mean, I know a lot of people, I'm in LA, right? Everyone wants to be a movie star or a rock star or some crazy vegans like me that want to have a vegan restaurant empire. You know, we don't always do what we want to do, but I think that our jobs, our vocations can be a vehicle for our spiritual development. And if I think about what I have to, to bring to the world every day, when I can be conscious enough to do it, I'm not always, is love, right? I, I remember I had a uh, high-level person in my last company that told me, Jeffrey, we really want your sales reps to fear you more. I don't think that your people fear you enough. And I'll never forget when he said that to me. And I said, Bob, not his real name, 
well, that's never going to happen. That's not how I play. I want to come from the love space. And of course, in the corporate world, if you say that too much, you might get tagged as a, a crazy California vegan hippie. Guilty. But I still think that if we want to cultivate a deeper connection, I'll say spirit, right? The divine love, then we have to do that in each moment of our lives or do our best to do that. I mean, I certainly fail at that more than I succeed. I'm so glad you went there too and mentioned that part because I wanted to ask you about that, about the spiritual side of your life and how that impacts the way that you lead. And you started sharing about that a little bit. You were talking about even when being sort of like threatened (laughs) to add fear into your leadership plan and model, you decided to stay the path of love. Share with us a little bit about how you've seen love win in the end, because that's what we really need in our society right now too, as well as in business. Yeah, it's a huge door that you just opened, right? Um, How many hours do we have? (laughs) You might have to come back, Jeffrey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Give us a Cliff Notes version now. I want to start with this. You know, we all play roles, right? Everyone's got a role. So there are roles, you know, I have a doctor. There's some guys that drive by and empty the trash cans. Um, you know, there's the guy at 7-Eleven. These are just roles that we're playing. I'm the, right now I'm the co-CEO of Plant Power Fast Food. Somebody is working at Plant Power and they're a brand new employee washing dishes. These are just roles. It's kind of an illusion. We're all so similar deep inside. We all have fears. We all want to be safe. We all want to feel loved and appreciated. And so for me, that's the baseline, right? And for me, that's rooted in the sense that there's something that unites us all or some fundamental force that we are all one and part of. Now, again, you can't go to a board meeting and talk about that all the time, but that's really what I feel is the case. And for me, on my journey, that came from meditation and prayer and um, working on my own state of consciousness. So if I'm in fear, if I am in my ego, if I'm in greed, and I certainly know all those things too well, I can't meet somebody else in the heart. So for me, leadership is actually the journey going from my head in a way to my heart or going from fear, competitiveness, who's going to get the recognition, who's going to get the money, who's going to win to love where we're going from you and me to we or to the us. So for me, that's fundamental. It's also hard. Like it's easy to talk about on a podcast like now, but I think that working on that moment to moment day to day is, is vital to answer your question. I can't count how many times I've walked into a situation where there was conflict, all sorts of conflict, right? Back in the audio world, when a deal went bad and the equipment wasn't delivered and a concert might be delayed and huge amounts of money could be lost all the way to my current world where maybe we're having a serious problem with a distributor or the supply channel and it looks like all is lost. And when you have to have difficult conversations with anyone, if they know first that you care about them and that you love them, if they can feel that first, then magic happens, right? If you go into battle with somebody, non-magic happens. But if people know that you do care and if you listen for a moment, I think there's all sorts of possibilities that emerge that may not have emerged otherwise. And so my work as a leader is to work on myself first and foremost. You know, there's something really powerful in what you said, because if we think about operating and living from a place of love 
it expands the possibilities, the choices and the options. And it really puts people in a space where they can be creative and more innovative and they can partner together because they're not having to do self-protection when they know you care about them and they know that you love them and so on like that. I think that a lot of times leaders who operate by fear, what they don't know is they have actually hit over the head with a two by four the very person who's supposed to be partnering with them to come up with the next innovation. And so I I think what you're saying is really powerful. We actually get more going the route of love. Absolutely. And something else you said I think is important, which is this, even though you're you're the love CEO in a sense, the co-CEO, you also know your numbers too. You also know your numbers and what you're doing that way. And so it's not an either or, it can be a both and. And so often people like to pigeonhole and say, well, you know, like I said, that's just a hippie vegan, you know, whatever. However, you're both, you're a businessman, a solid businessman who understands that love is essential to really having a a profitable business when you really get down to it. So that's really a great I couldn't thing. agree more. I think that all of us in our lives are asked to do many things, right? And, and we have to do them well. And, um, you know, we have to come down from the mountaintop and, and uh, pay our taxes and go through our to-do list. Um, so I think it's about keeping the eyes on the prize. And really that kind of ties into the why. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? For, so for example, for Zach and Mitch and I, we really want to save animals. We actually want to take animals off the plate. But if we're building this empire and achieving that. And if our team members um, feel shortchanged or not appreciated or not loved, we're just creating more suffering in the world, right? So if if we take that why to a bigger level and say, hey, we wanna create less suffering in the world. We wanna create less fear, more love, more ease for everyone, for our cow, animal and chicken friends, but also for the beautiful team members that help us make this happen. That's really the goal. And that requires more consciousness, you know, Actually, this is an important point because I know I know a number of animal activists don't apply the same principle of love to humankind. So it's really useful to hear you say not just animals, also my fellow human beings as well. So it's across the board that makes it even more special to me to hear you say that. Now, I'm going to be a little bit controversial, Jeffrey. So so, so here's the deal. I'm thinking about, now you know, I, I like to come from a biblical perspective. And so I'm thinking about the fact that when God sort of first, you know, put Adam and Eve in the garden and so on, and he told Adam and Eve, and he told, and he said about the animals, they all were going to eat plants. They all were going to eat herbs. This was in Genesis, the first chapter. Then by the time we get to Genesis 9, it's after the flood, and he's talking to Noah and his sons. God changed the plan a little bit, and he sort of gives animals as food, both for people and also for other animals. So it makes me think about this. I'm thinking, you know, certainly there's no problem whatsoever if any person chooses to be a vegetarian, that's great. However, if we all chose to be vegetarian, I'm wondering what could be the downside? Would we get overrun with animals in our world? And would we then not even be safe living here and not even have a place to go because there's too many animals? Because, you know, God has them reproducing at a higher level to feed everybody else. So tell us how you reconcile those things. By the way, thanks for keeping it real. Like and pushing back. That's great. Oh, well, first of all, if you really understand our current animal agriculture model, and uh, I'm just going to get real back. Okay. If that's okay with you. Certainly. Um, yeah. In the wild animals aren't procreating at the rate that they are in the animal agriculture industry. Cows are artificially inseminated. 
painfully. There's other words for that that I won't use here on this podcast. Um, we're speeding up this process of procreation because we're starting to view uh, over the last hundred years or more animals as products, not as beings, right? And so um, there are solutions to, these are great questions, right? There are solutions to them. You know, one of the big scientific inquiries right now is how to kind of um, reintegrate parts of the planet that have been destroyed from animal agriculture or industrialization. And some of the research shows, if you actually just let a lot of cows go out there and poop and eat grass and walk around with their hooves, large amounts of, of land can actually um, be healed. So there's a huge amount of science going into to that. But for me, it comes down to this, right? I believe, um, and, and you know, I can't, I can't match you on biblical quotes. I mean, I can do the beginning of Genesis where it says every seed, every fruit, I kind of know that line, but if we go toe to toe, I'm gonna lose just to let you know. But for me, when you look into the eyes of, I'm gonna use this word here, someone, not something, so when I look in your eyes, or the eyes of a friend, uh, or the eyes of a stranger, or watch this, the eyes of my dog, or the eyes of my cat, what I see is someone there, not something there. And if we take that and we extrapolate that out, and we look at the plight of the animals in our world, there's a thousand reasons to justify what we do to them. And I'm, again, not going to argue with the Bible. As I said, we'll lose. Growing up a nice Jewish boy, I'm just not well-versed. But within our spirit is the capability to look into the eyes of another and to care, to have compassion and to have love. And if it's easy to make a choice of kindness and compassion, why not, right? I would want to believe that God wants us to be loving and be kind. And you know, in the world that you and I live in, sometimes, and I'm not arguing your biblical point, but there have been times where the Bible or various religious texts have been used to justify slavery. That was certainly the case in this country. Or war. There was a time where people felt in the 1600s that if it was proven that the world was round, that it must disprove the existence of God. We don't hold those thoughts anymore. We tend to see things in a different and more holistic way. So I think that as we grow and evolve as spiritual beings, I think that we can have insights and we can begin to understand things in a new way. And I think that my mind lacks the ability to know truth from falseness in a way, but I think my heart knows. And so if I keep coming back to the heart, if I keep asking myself, is this kind? Is this compassionate? A lot of my Christian brothers and sisters have a, a bracelet I've seen that says WWJD, right? And I'm wondering why are they wearing a bracelet that says, what would Jeffrey do? That just makes no <laughs> sense. Why is that? No, but you know, and the inquiry is right in this moment, in this situation, what would Jesus do? It's a great, great, beautiful inquiry. And so I think that if we begin to view the world from compassion and kindness, we can see that there's been a million justifications to do a million things which are unkind. We can choose to be kinder and in doing so, maybe closer um, to that source of love. All right. So let me just throw something in and just sort of to wrap this segment up a little bit, which is this, you know, I love what you said about looking into the eyes of someone and seeing someone, not a thing, so yeah. to speak. That's an important concept because we're here even as human beings to husband the earth, if you will, to be the caretaker of it. That's what, you know, God kind of assigned us to do. And there are ways to do everything. 
And some ways that we have adopted in recent years have been inhumane and haven't been necessarily appropriate. And so I'll say this, I'll say that one of the Native American traditions, they understand that they might have to eat a buffalo or something, you know, but it's how that buffalo is treated, how it's handled, what is said and what is done. It's a sacred process, recognizing that another being is giving up his or her life for your life in this sense. So it's not done callously in a sense. So when we think about kindness, we can also think about it in a very broad spectrum that there may be kind ways to even do some things that are different from let's say being totally vegan or whatever it is. And so you and I will have to have further conversations about that, but I really do appreciate hearing your perspective on it, at least the Cliff Notes version for today. (laughs) But I, I I think that's an important point and that's another three hour conversation. But my point is there may be a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. There may be a spectrum here. Like the way we get eggs in the animal agriculture, animal industry is horrific, but there are people that have chickens in their backyards and they take their eggs and they're happy chickens. I can make the argument that it's still not kind, but one could certainly see that it's much kinder. And so I think that every one of us along the path of our lives can make the argument that there are kinder and better ways to do various things. Great point. Exactly. And our whole point here is, as you said, raising the consciousness of people so that they make some deliberate choices, understanding why they're making those choices and also what the implications may be. And if I may say, and loving people from where they are now, right? Exactly. And I've had this this argument with uh, a friendly argument with people who are as concerned as I am about the animals. And just, I can only say that my way, and this is true of Zach and Mitch, you know, we want to go out there and serve people beautiful plant-based food with love, right? Now there are people that are going to go out there and be activists in various ways, and that's fine. Our way is the gentle way because it's just our karma to do it like that. I love it. I love that. So now, Jeffrey, let's go back to your business history a little bit. I know that some of the leaders that you may have worked for in the past weren't necessarily the best role models. Everything wasn't always perfect. Everything wasn't positive. You've had some difficult, you've had some challenging bosses. And one of the things I do know is we learned very often what not to do sometimes from the bosses that we've had in the past. So if you think back to some of those past experiences, what have you learned about what not to do? And it informs how you, again, are leading your company today. Great question. So I I do have to say that the company I was with for 20 years was uh, a publicly held company. The pressure was high. Um, There were times that people thought the company culture could use some improvement, but I was very lucky. I worked with wonderful, amazing bosses at that company for 20 years. Good people, right? I didn't really encounter a lot of uh, bad vibes. So I, I really did well with that. But the one thing I can say that I can think back to a job that I had in in my career where I was just simply treated um, with a lack of respect, that I wasn't spoken of in a respectful way. I was spoken of in a slightly disrespectful way in front of colleagues or in front of customers. And I remember how small that made me feel. Now, what I learned from that and the reason that I allowed that to happen is out of fear right? Sometimes if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, you got to keep that job. You want to pay your mortgage or your rent or be able to go to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and you don't want to quit and you need to kind of stay at it. And the work world teaches us persistence, especially if if we're not wealthy, we, we have to work. But I do remember very vividly allowing myself to be kind of mistreated 
And for me, what I learned about that was, you know, I should have had more faith. You know, I should have had more faith and kind of stood up as a human and say, sorry, that's not allowed. And where I'm at in my life now, I do have those boundaries. So if somebody's cranky or they're having a hard day and they're not treating me well, it's fine. But if people are uh, demonstrating abject disrespect, I call it out. I'm no longer afraid to do that. But it took time. I'm an old man now. And it's took, taken a lot of time to kind of understand that many of the things we fear, we don't need to fear them. We can stand up for what we believe is right. I will say that I can identify one individual that used to work at the company I worked for before, who was at a very high level in that company, who mistreated people for years. He kind of enjoyed making people cry and, and firing people on the spot. And eventually that karma did catch up with this person. Now I hope that he's well and has a happy life, of course. But I can also see, if you go to the East, we talk about karma. If we talk in biblical terms, we can talk about what you reap, you sow. Mm -hmm. And it's really true for all of us. So um, I've learned that kindness is the way to go. By the way, we gotta be honest and be unafraid of confronting. Sometimes kindness doesn't mean not calling people out. Sometimes you have to call people out and you have to be real. Yeah, I mean, I think Jesus Christ was a perfect example of that. Right. He said some really difficult messages to people in a way that they could hear. You know, he didn't just allow them to run rampant, you know, over people that he cared about. He spoke up. Yeah. Well, think about, I think about the scene of uh, with the money changers in the temple, right? Absolutely. As a good example. Maybe uh, the teachings that were required at that moment um, weren't accomplished by him sitting on a lotus flower. Maybe at that moment he needed to be a warrior. And I think all of us need to do that inquiry. But the difference is if we're coming from love or coming from ego. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And what's the end game? What are you trying to do? In his case, yeah. he was really trying to lead people to the abundant life. That was the intention. Beautiful. It wasn't to tear them down. He called them out, you know, on their crazy behavior, so to speak. So this is, this is great. You've learned to stand up for yourself a little bit uh, better now at this point of your life. And you learned what it feels like to be disrespected. And so I yeah. know you're not treating people in your company like that, as we've been talking about. None of us are perfect. So sometimes we make mistakes in our, our work life and our business life. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about mistakes you may have made and what you've learned from those and how they've informed you. I've made, I've made some even recently. I think as our attachment to the outcome grows, our ego gets engaged and bad things can happen. And, and, and what I mean by that is, if I was working some job at the supermarket that I didn't care that much about and, and I got fired or I was treated badly, well, I would leave, right? My whole life mission is the success of this particular enterprise and this team and my partners and my investor family. I'm in it, you know? My butt is glued to the saddle, right? And so when there's that level of engagement and that level of commitment, it's also almost impossible to walk away which means you have to confront things. I've been pretty good in my life at teaching people good communication skills, right? Learning how to listen, communicating what I think I heard you just say, did I get this right? And tell me more about how I can do better. But I've also found even a guy that teaches people how to communicate, if I get too heated, if my ego gets flamed up, if I get attached, what I've realized, I can blow it just as badly as the next person and I'm not that good at it sometimes. So what I've learned is to take a breath, to take a beat, maybe to wait a day to send that email, you know, read it again before I press send. And also part of that, 
process for me is learning about my own mind. It comes back to that again and again. Like what I think just happened maybe didn't happen. Or if it did happen, it'll change in an hour or in a day. I mean, if you watch the clouds roll through the sky, they take all these beautiful shapes sometimes. But those shapes are always changing. And the interplay between human beings is always changing. Sometimes it's tough. And sometimes there's a healing. I think the thing I've learned from my own mistakes is have faith, take a breath, take a beat, walk away. Don't send that email right away because if so, you'll have to deal with it. So I'm just learning like every human being to, again, it's that, that challenge of going from the, the head to the heart and I'm not great at it. I'm just learning it. Yeah. And it's the whole thing about not letting a momentary scenario define the whole relationship permanently and just remembering to go back to love. I mean, I really think that's the bottom line of what you're saying. And that's really phenomenal. In order to take this business to the next level, because you guys are are starting to have some companies, some in other places outside of uh, Southern California, tell us a little bit about that expansion. And then also how you personally will have to grow in order for that to happen. Another good question. Well, the first thing that's going is that uh, we're expanding quickly. So we have, I think you covered this earlier, but we have seven stores now. We have eight stores in development. We probably have another three that we'll be adding to that development pipeline, another 20 or 21 in the franchise world. So what we're doing is we currently have a growth plan to get to 85 or 100 units over the next six years. We're also looking at other possibilities, other financing sources, and possibly accelerating that quite a bit. So on an organizational level, we have to build a better team. These three partners are are very talented, or at least two out of the three are very talented. And I'm hanging out there as well. I think that the team that we have today, you know, we've been building onto that team can get us to 25 or 50 or 100 units. But when we are talking about a vision of something much bigger, then we're always asking ourselves what's missing. So as an example, recently, we've been interviewing people who are experts at accelerated development. You know, usually we open one or two stores at a time. This year, I think it's maybe six or seven, which is terrifying. And so we can identify we're pretty good at that. Other people are better at that. Let's go find those people. And even in our current growth spurt, we hired a new new store openings manager and a new director of ops. So for us, a big part of it is building that team up. That's a big challenging thing. As an individual, there's a letting go process. The three founders are no longer in every store every day. We don't know everybody. And we are gradually giving control to people who are good at what they're doing and that demonstrated their competency. And so it's different, right? We're going from from a smaller company to a larger company, and maybe it's a little uncomfortable. But also, I would imagine that if we go to a much, much larger company, it's going to get more uncomfortable. And I think that's just about personal growth. If you want to go for the big vision, you have to give certain things up to achieve that. So I I think what I'm learning how to do is, how can I serve the mission? What do I need to let go of a little bit? As it is, if I know I'm going to meet some investors or a new franchisee at one of our locations, I call the manager. I said, by the way, just so your team members know, there's some strange guy is going to walk in through the back on Thursday at 10 o'clock. I don't know everybody anymore. And that's hard for me. I want to know everybody. I want to hug it out with everybody. Our director of HR says, I cannot hug it out with everybody. It's not cool anymore. So uh, I think there's just a lot of uh, surrendering to what the new circumstances require. And I think that's hard for people sometimes. 
And I'm so glad you brought that up because I know in the work that I do as a consultant with many of my clients, they're often transitioning from one size to the next size. Right. And what I say is they've outgrown their infrastructure. So a lot of the work that I do is to come in and help them to select yeah and bring in other talent, develop that talent, integrate it into the business. Because a lot of times they have to add people quickly and they have to find the right people who they can really delegate a lot of authority to in many yeah. areas. Because just like you said, we only each have 24 hours in a day and you can't be everywhere all the time. So this particular lesson that you're sharing is huge. And I hope people are listening because you articulated it well, what that business leader needs to do in order to continue to grow in, in the vision. So thank you for sharing that. Can I share something along those lines? Sure. I was just recently um, speaking to very high level CEO from the fast food industry. And I'm not gonna mention her name or the huge brand that she used to run, right? But I've been reaching out to her for some mentorship. And she said something brilliant to me the other day. She said, she goes, speaking of herself, she goes, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'm, I'm engaging and listening and building that team and creating space for everyone to grow. That's really interesting. I thought about that quite a bit and she's, actually brilliant. She probably actually is the most brilliant person in the room, but it's really about, it's relational. It's team building. It's being of service. It's letting people shine. It's giving people credit. And bringing other brilliant people with yeah, you, not being much. afraid to even have people on the team who are smarter than you. You need them to do certain aspects of the business Absolutely. that's not in your sweet spot. And yeah. so having the humility to be able to accept that also allows the business to grow. So, yes, yeah, she's giving you wise counsel. <laughs> so, really wise counsel. Yes, yeah. she is. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this, that. People are listening. They, they're hearing about your phenomenal story. How can they learn more about you, more about your business, more about the restaurants? How can they get in touch? Well, they can always go to www.plantpowerfastfood.com. Now, I want you to know that only old people say www in front of plantpowerfastfood.com because, you know, it's the World Wide Web. So they can certainly go to plantpowerfastfood.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. People are welcome to reach out to me. I'm at jeffrey.harris, that's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y dot H-A-R-R-I-S at plantpowerfastfood.com. I'm always available. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. That's really delightful. Thanks for sharing that. And we'll make sure that that information is also in the show notes as well. So what additional words of wisdom, Jeffrey, do you want to leave for my audience of executive business leaders? Mm. Find your why, find your intention. I was actually on a call this morning, a conference call with my co-founders, Mitch Wallace and Zach Boga. And Zach, we were introducing ourselves to an investor and Zach was talking about the why. And it's something I talk about a lot. Why are we doing what we're doing? It's okay to do what we're doing to make a living. You know, that's great. It's incredibly noble to wanna to make enough to take care of your family and make sure there's food on the table, that's great. But find your why. Speaking for myself, as we have become more successful, it's easy for my ego to get in the way. It's easier for me to go, oh my God, one day I might actually make a whole bunch of money. Oh, one day I might be on Dr. Cameron's podcast. That would be amazing. And all I'm saying is that the ego has all these uh, stories and plays all these tricks and it's all interesting. But when we're focused on the why, what is our intention? 
I've, I've seen all these new age books about find your, follow your bliss, find your intention. I'm finding this now to be true. I think that if you, and I used to think, yeah, that's, that sounds easy. But I think that if we keep coming back to why we're doing something, and if we can find an intention that is uplifting and noble, like I said, nothing wrong with making a living. But if we can find the win, in, in our case, our why is we want to win for the animals. We want to win for our team members. We want to win for people. We want to show them a more compassionate and a healthier life. We want to win for our investor community. We want to win for everybody. And we try to hold that mind's eye and proceed with that. The most important thing to me is the intention behind it. I don't have much wisdom, but if I have any wisdom, that's probably it. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I really appreciate you being here today and sharing that wisdom with my audience. And so I'm going to share a few wrap-up comments. So to those of you who are out there from the Voice of Leadership and also Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership, I just want you to remember a few key points that our guest shared today, that very last pearl of wisdom about knowing your why, because this is the why that really fuels our passion, allows us to operate for the long term. We have a bigger reason to do what we're doing and beyond just making money to do what we're doing. I love what Jeffrey said about vision and that vision being one that's shared one that's shared with all the people in the organization where you can look into someone's eyes and see the value of each human being, each being because animals and humans in his business are valued. And to see that each one is bringing their own gifts, each one has their superpower. It doesn't matter what position they're in. They're still important and to be respected as important on the planet. I love what, Jeffrey, what you said about love, what you said about service, and that being the bedrock for the business to love and to serve and to figure out how you can help. And the whole point is to win together. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not a win-lose. It's a win-win-win-win-win all the way around across the board. And that may sound a little bit Pollyanna to people, but that's to people who really don't know that love is stronger than anything else out there. It does work. If you live long enough and practice it, you will see. You also talked about developing rapport with people, really listening and understanding. I think that's huge as well. So there you have it to my audience, Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. That's kind of like the wrap up and summary of what Jeffrey shared with us today. So we're going to end today's segment with our biblical word of wisdom, which comes from Genesis, the first chapter, starting with verse 26 through 28. And it's all about God's charge to Adam and Eve in the garden. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So what I want you to hear in that is dominion doesn't mean that you do harm and violence. It means that you recognize that you are an extension of the arm of God to actually be a caretaker, a steward over the earth to take care of both people and all of God's creatures. He cares about you and he cares about them. Thank you for being here today. You are the instrument of your leadership. And so I invite you to read a complimentary chapter of my book, Lead Yourself First, The Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact. And here's what you'll get from reading the book. You'll get some perspectives on how to leverage your unique gifts and superpowers Also, how to mine the gold of your past experiences overcoming challenges. And thirdly, you'll be able to identify the continual learning that will catapult you to your next victory. So to read that complimentary chapter, go to my website, www.transleadership.com. Scroll down the homepage and click on the button that says, read a chapter. And I look forward to meeting you inside the book. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.